The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So let's open up our Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, before I begin the reading this evening, I want to just test your memory a little bit, see how well that you listen. When I was teaching on Matthew chapter 25 in the morning services, do you remember what I said was the second most talked about subject in Scripture? Anybody know? Second most talked about subject in Scripture. Well, yes, you're right on the right track. Uh, not the rapture in particular, but the second coming of Christ. That is the second most talked about subject in Scripture. And as I was making that point, I told you what is the first primary subject of Scripture. And what is that? Faith, actually. Faith is the primary subject of Scripture. So that tells us that faith is a very cre- a critical key element of, uh, of what we do here, of preaching the gospel and all of that, that all concerns our faith. And so whether we're talking about the faith that brings us to Christ, that justifies us before God, or whether we're talking about the faith, with the article the in front of it, the faith, which means all of Christian doctrine, or whether we're talking about living faith, what we do every day in our lives as we serve Christ, faith is the most talked about doctrine in the Scriptures. Now, what I want to talk to you about tonight is the last of those, which is living faith. That'll be the subject tonight. Hopefully, we'll maybe be able to bring in a little bit more of those other types of faith as well. But the subject this evening is the faith by which we live. That is the main point, and this will also help us. It's maybe kind of an introduction to the new series that we have beginning next Sunday night on uh, the joy of uh, just living in Jesus, the joy of living in Jesus, or whatever the title of that series is, I can't think of it right now, but all of those uh, lessons that we're going to have on that, uh, this will kind of get us uh, as an introduction into that. So our text this evening is a part of Paul's letter to the church at Thessalon- Thessalonica, and this was a church that was established on his second missionary journey. He wrote two important letters to this church, but Paul had not spent a great deal of personal time there. Uh, The time that he did spend was blessed and it was fruitful, and there were many people that came to know the Lord. Now, when he wrote this first letter, he was very interested in the progress of the church, and he had a great deal of anxiety about what had happened to this church. Were they still standing for the faith? Were they still strong as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Were they being faithful? And he knew that this would be very difficult for them because of the persecution that they faced in that city. And pleasantly, to his surprise, he found it was a strong church. It was a thriving church and one that had a real living testimony of faith. Now, as we read the Scriptures tonight, there are five times that Paul mentions their faith in these ten verses, and they had a strong faith that's very sorely needed in our churches today. Whether we face persecution, like they did in the first century, or we face apathy, which is a very common thing in the Christian church today, we need to have a strong faith, and that will define what we're able to do for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we need a faith that honestly knows Christ and know what it is to walk with him every day and to trust him every day and draw strength from his presence. Now, many of the believers in Thessalonica had a strong faith, and that's a faith that stands as a model for us. Now, as we read Scripture tonight, I want you to watch and see how many times that Paul speaks of their faith. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1 He says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. 
For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us, always desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I think it would be good for me to give you a little bit of the background on this church at Thessalonica to show you why that Paul was just so anxious about the faith of this church. The believers there were living under severe persecution from both Jewish and Gentile citizens of that city. And when Paul was in Thessalonica, he was so fiercely opposed by those over the preaching of the gospel that they incited a riot. The Jews gathered a bunch of people that we might call low-lifers, and they, and they started a riot in the city, an uproar. There was a mob uprising, and they blamed that uproar on the Apostle Paul. This mob went and uh, went to the uh, house of a disciple by the name of Jason, hoping that they would find Paul and Silas there. But when Paul and Silas weren't there, then they seized Jason, and they took him before the leaders of the city. And this is where we hear those famous words that were spoken, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. Now Paul was warned that this was about to happen, so he and Silas had already left, and they'd left the city and gone out so that they weren't captured along with Jason. And because Paul and Silas had left so abruptly, they had no way to be sure what had happened to the believers in that city. They didn't know. Have they succumbed to the persecution? Have they stopped? Have they stopped in their faith? What's happened to this church? Is it destroyed or is it still going strong? Now what Paul did from here, he went to the city of Berea, where he found Bereans that are like us. And then he went on to the city of Athens. But as he was traveling from place to place, there's this thought that keeps dogging him, and that is, what happened to these believers at Thessalonica? Are they still standing for the faith? And he became so overwhelmed with that thought that this is what we read in verses 1 and 2. He says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother. He said, when we could no longer forbear. And what he's giving us there is an expression of anxiety about their welfare. And when he couldn't, he couldn't know and couldn't stand anymore for the suspense, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to discover what had happened to these believers and then also to strengthen them in the faith. And so it was Timothy's job to report back to Paul about their faith. And thus we come to tonight's message. And the subject of that report is what I want to talk to you about tonight. The, the report that Timothy gave, and his report was very good, and the report said that they were holding up under that persecution, and they were living strong in their faith for the Lord. Now tonight I want us to, to notice three particular characteristics about the faith of these Christians that are in Thessalonica and how that our faith should be like theirs. So we're going to compare faiths here just a little bit. Now, first of all, in the comparison of faith, we need a faith like theirs, that it's a faith that stands in troubles. We need a faith that's not moved by any of the troubles that we face. And we notice here in verse number 3 again, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Paul said that no man should be moved. Now that word move, that's kind of an interesting word in the Greek. It actually means like um, to shake like the wagging of a dog's tail. And what it carries with it is the idea of deceit, of deception and beguiling. It means to be led astray by a deceptive strategy. And that gives us a little bit of an insight into the type of persecution that these people experienced, the enemy was using deception against them. 
And let me say this before we go further, that Paul gave a reason why they should not be moved. He said that we are appointed to these afflictions. In other words, as I told you two or three times in the last few weeks, that none of us should be surprised when we have trouble. That our brand of Christianity is not deficient because there's trouble. Nothing has gone wrong. Not because we find ourselves constantly in a jam. That doesn't mean that something's gone wrong and we're not to get upset by this. The Scripture says that we have been appointed to it. It comes with the territory of faith in Christ. And once you get a clear understanding of that fact, then you'll be much better prepared when trouble comes. Now, one of the deceptive practices of the enemy in Thessalonica was that they were attacking Paul's character. They were, they were spreading lies and rumors about him. Now, this is why we read in the second chapter in verse number 3, Paul says, For our exhortation, our exhortation, was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Now, this is what they were doing. They were talking about Paul. They were spreading lies about him. And so he had to defend himself. And he says, I haven't lied to you. I haven't tried to deceive you. I'm not the one that's telling you all these lies. And there were, and all these things that are happening. And all, there was rumors about Paul's immorality. There were rumors about false preaching. And all these things were circulating against him. And, and Paul's enemies thought, if we can ruin his reputation with lies, then people will turn against him, and they'll turn against their faith, and they'll turn back. And that's something that we have to look out for today that the devil would like nothing better than to destroy the reputation of the pastor, of the deacons, of people that are in leadership. And in my time, I've seen a lot of false accusations that have been made. When I first became pastor of the church, there, there was a person in my own office that was spreading lies. Now, unfortunately, people are more prone to believe the lies than they are to believe the truth. I mean, you check this thing out, when you say something good about somebody and you want to spread something good, see how far that travels. Then start a lie about somebody. Start a false rumor about somebody and see what people really like to listen to. What is it that gets passed around? Well, it's always the lie. And there are many leaders in churches that have been destroyed by lies and the faith of the people is shaken because they all have the confidence in their leaders. Now, we have to be very careful about that as leaders. And I'll speak to the deacons tonight. I'll, I'll even speak to Sunday school teachers and anybody that has a place in leadership in the church. You have to be very careful about the way you live. And you have to be careful because there is enough going on out there that's circulating that are lies that can be told that we don't want to be actually doing something that give people a cause against us. So we have to be very careful about what we do. Now, on top of the rumors against Paul... There was physical abuse that was going on. And so in chapter 2, in verse number 16, we see that they were forbidden to preach the gospel both to the Gentiles and the Jews. So we have the authorities that stand against them. They have the mobs that stand against them. They have the Jews that are standing against them. And all of this is going on just like it was when Paul was there. Now the abuse was so bad that there wasn't much else that could be done against them except martyrdom. That's the next thing. But we note here that Paul says, no man should be moved by these afflictions. Despite the shameful treatment, despite the savage attacks, he said, you can't be moved by this. And he says, we've been appointed to it. Well, at this point, you might understand that very well. The Scripture says that we have been appointed to it. But you still wonder, perhaps... Well, how are we actually going to keep from being moved? Even though we've been appointed, how can we keep from being moved? Well, let me show you what Paul says helps a Christian to stand in troubles. The believer has to have some very important knowledge. Now, first of all, a believer has to know his appointment. We must know our appointment. And I, and I do need to reemphasize that because this is so critical to your understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Paul says about troubles and afflictions, again, for you yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. And so he tells us that affliction and misunderstanding of the world, that does come with the territory. 
And if you are a follower of Christ, you can expect it. And there's one very good reason why you should. And that's because Jesus experienced it too. He experienced all kinds of trouble, even though he was upstanding, as I was talking about this morning. No fault can be found in him. No sin can be found. It all has to be fabricated. And yet, and yet, Jesus stood there with no sin, and people just were so much against him, they wanted to kill him. So Jesus suffered these things. We can expect it too. And we have to bear these experiences with patience. Now, Peter chimed in on this when he wrote in 1 Peter 2.20, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, yet take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And so when you bear up under those tough times, that's when you know that faith is real. Well, what is it then, what is it like to be a normal Christian according to, to Paul. What is the normal Christian life? Well, this is what he says in Philippians 3.10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To know Christ is to take part in his sufferings. Faith in him will always cause suffering. Now, have you noticed that it's inbred in people to, to torment those that aren't like them? I never wanted to be the fat kid in school because that's the ones, those are the ones who get picked on. I never want to be the skinny one, the scrawny one in school because those are the ones that get picked on. And remember that maybe a few weeks ago, uh, you, you remember that I told you about a little boy by the name of Rodney who was the, who was the uh, first black kid that was in my class. This was back in the years of desegregation. And when I was in the fifth grade, they started bussing in the black kids to integrate. And so we had the first uh, young black child that I knew or had anything to do with was this young man by the name of Rodney. And he was different from all the other kids in the school uh, in my class because everybody else in the class was white, quite frankly. And he was the only black kid that was in the class. And so I can tell you that Rodney was out of his element. He needed a friend. And, and the, the socially active pundits... You know, they always think that they're doing the right thing. And there were many kids in these days of desegregation that were just thrust out there. They're the ones that had to make it work. But they have no idea what's going on. They're in a place where they're not used to. They're out of the element. They're little kids that are thrown into a foreign environment. And they just don't know anything about that. And I don't know how particularly to solve that problem because it needed to be done but I do know that on the individual level that it was tough on that little kid that was in my class. Now you multiply that racial hatred hundreds of times over and then you begin to understand why Christian behavior is so hated. We're hated because we're different. They hate us because righteous living exposes unrighteous living. Nobody likes to have their sin exposed. Isn't that what Scripture says? Jesus said this in John 3.20. He said, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So the evil person is like all these little bugs that are underneath a rock. And you turn the rock over and what do they do? They scramble, they scurry away because they don't like the light. And that's the way it is with lost people. You begin to expose sin and lost people are not going to like you. Now we read in 2 Timothy 3.12... Paul said there, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And maybe we need to read that again. All, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a verse that Joel Osteen needs to read. Because if his preaching is true and you always have favor, what would that mean? You are not living godly. You start living godly, and you're not going to find favor with the world. It just is not going to happen. Because the world does not like the contrast between you and them. And then the world persecutes Christians because they don't want any other God than themselves. Now, you know what the concept of the world is about God? That God loves everybody. God loves everything that moves and, and God is going to, to provide for them, and God is going to protect them, and God is going to give them all that they want. 
And that happens no matter what their behavior is. And they believe in the final analysis, God will accept them because they accept themselves. Now you listen to the way that they talk. They're okay with God. God's not a problem for them. God's okay with them, so they're okay with God. They, they don't really need any salvation. They figure that's not, that's not something they need. If they're good enough for themselves, then God is good with them. They're good enough for God. So don't try to tell them anything that makes them feel guilty. And I could stay on this subject. We could go on and on with this. This is why people don't like the preaching on hell. It's why preachers won't preach on hell. They just don't want to make anybody feel guilty. Now, if our faith is to stand in troubles, we have to realize the appointment. And, and you get that part right, and you won't be blindsided by the boogeyman. Now, secondly, in order not to be moved, we must know our adversary. And we all know who the adversary is. The one that's behind it all is Satan. Satan is the one who's there. Uh, he's the one that stirs up the persecution. Satan is the one that wants to shut you up. And what Satan thinks is if he can strike fear into your heart, then he figures you will shut up. And what you have to do, you have to resist him. How can you resist the devil? Well, one of the ways is just to weigh things out. Weigh the thing out. See what the consequences are if you don't stand for Jesus. You want to resist the devil? Think about the consequences if you don't stand for Jesus. When you shut up and when you forsake your faith, who are you going to be known as a follower of? You'll be known as a follower of Satan. But when you stand up and you declare your faith, then you'll be known as a follower of God. And that's not very hard for us to understand, is it? A true believer in Christ does not want to be identified with the unfruitful works of darkness. So you need to know the adversary. You have to understand who is the one that's behind all of this. And then you come to the conclusion that you serve a more powerful king. You serve a higher king. And therefore, we ought not to be discouraged. God promises that if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. And the Christians that have the most difficulty in their, in, their, in their lives are the ones that never resist the devil. And so trouble seems to follow them everywhere. Now, thirdly then, we must know our accomplishment. That everything that we're going through in the Christian life will lead us somewhere. The promises of God are never empty. They're always fulfilled. And what God promises is eternal life. And he says the hardships that you go through in this life are nothing compared to what God has waiting for you. In Romans 8.18, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, the Christian life is God's accomplishment. It's God in us. It's God working through us. And the end result of it is this everlasting home that we have in heaven. Now, when you start to think about things like that, when life is really getting tough on you, you think about what God's promised at the end. And when you see how great the promise is and what things are coming for us, that's when all the troubles begin to pale in comparison. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And do you remember when Paul spoke those words? It comes at the end of a long discussion about the resurrection. And the result of the resurrection... The result of that and having faith in Christ is the defeat of sin and death. Now you think about that. What does faith do? What, what does faith accomplish? It accomplishes the defeat of sin and death. And then, when you think about that, decide if it's really worth it to stand for Jesus. Think about what faith accomplishes. Now the second thing that we need to talk about regarding their strong faith in Thessalonica was that it is a faith that shines in testimony. A strong faith will always give an excellent testimony. Now, when Timothy returned from this mission to Thessalonica, he had this glowing report of the believers there. The testimony was strong. They hadn't buckled under all of the pressure and the persecution. And so Paul says in verse number 6 that Timothy brought good tidings of their faith. 
And I think if you combine Paul's anxiousness with the hazards of the faith, the report may have caught him a little bit by surprise. Maybe Paul has a little bit of pessimism in his mind. He, he really didn't expect that he would hear such good news. But here it comes. Timothy comes with a report and he says, these people are strong in their faith. Now, what do you think that Timothy might have seen there? What, what kind of evidence did he see when he bit, went back to Thessalonica that caused him to give such a glowing report of their faith? What would he look for as evidence? Well, I think he probably looked for the same things and used the same things that we would use to evaluate. If we had a member of our church that moved away for a considerable, considerable period of time and that member returned here, what would he include in his report about how well that the church was doing? Well, I think that the first thing that he would probably note is the church attendance. And I'm not talking about the numbers that are in the church. Because you can never gauge the spirituality of the church by the numbers of people that are there. I mean, you have churches that are filled to the brim and running over with a social gospel where a social gospel is being preached. There's no faith there, no real faith that's there. So the numbers, that's not the real gauge. The real gauge is what are the members of that church doing? How well do they attend the church? I mean, are they there? Are they constantly in the church? I mean, it would be very hard for me, and you can understand this well, I think, it would be very hard for me to, to give an evaluation of a Christian and say, they have, must have a really strong faith because I never see them at church. Well, that, that just doesn't add up, does it? That doesn't work that way. So a good report is going to say, uh, people that are spiritual, they're going to church, they're coming in to hear the Word of God. And I can tell you, I don't think it's unreasonable for a church to expect that the members would be present for the services. And you think about it. What is more important that you do than being in God's house? And when you find out the thing that's more important, then you know what your priority is. And you can make excuses about it, and there are hundreds of excuses that can be made, but in the excuses are found out the priorities. Now, perhaps we can gauge the spiritual health of our church, and I'll get on you just a little bit here, maybe we can gauge it by how many attend the fundamentals class on Wednesday night. I know it's, for some it's not possible to do that, but I do know this, that in the beginning there were a lot of people who thought it was possible. You know why? Because there were 70 people on a sheet out there that signed up for the class and got workbooks and said, we're going to be here on Wednesday night for the fundamentals class. And now you know what we have out of 70 people, sometimes 40, maybe a little bit more, and sometimes a lot less. And you wonder what's happened. Well, why is that? And then you think about, what about a church like this? What about the others that didn't sign up at all? That nobody thought, well, I, you know, I don't really need to come to that class. And so it must be that God's people are somehow bored with doctrinal discussions. But do you really understand what's in the Bible? You read Paul's letters to the churches, and uh, Peter said about Paul, he said, you know something? Man, that Paul has some difficult things to say. That Paul, he, he's got some doctrine that's really tough. It, it's hard to understand what Paul says. But you know what Paul didn't do? He didn't water it down because it was hard to understand. Instead, he expected that Christians would get up to speed. You know when Paul complained? He complained about churches like the one at Corinth because he had to keep dealing with milky subjects over and over and over again. And that's because the people were too lazy. They were too lazy and too worldly to apply themselves. And so they had a hard time getting into difficult doctrines. So maybe what we're talking about here is really a health issue. The church might not be as healthy as it should be, because there may be members of the church that have an ulcerated faith. And by that I mean you can't take strong stuff. It upsets you. It upsets your, it upsets your, your stomach. Uh, you just can't handle that. Well, what else would he report? Well, how about how faithfully that they studied and applied the Scriptures? Now, if a report comes back that, well, there at the church at Thessalonica, the, the services and the preaching that goes on, it's filled with feel-good stories. 
And there's all kinds of little sermonettes and sermon homilies, little bitty homilies that are given. And as I said a moment ago, they're preaching over there that God loves everything that moves. And we would say, well, that type of study gives no evidence of a strong faith. Do you think it's strange that churches have gone to entertainment? And when I first came to California, I attended a Baptist church in Vallejo where I painfully sat through a drama presentation in the morning church service. And this drama presentation was on the level of a kindergarten class. And the people that were in the congregation just soaked this up like this was so profound. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, it's just like being in a kid's class on Sunday morning. But that's normal fare. That's normal. The weaker, the better. Weaker, the better. And you know, the, you have people that go to church, they listen to the sermons and they sleep through it. And the reason they do is because they can learn as much sleeping as they do awake. So why not? Why not sleep through it? Now, on the other hand, we come into Brian, and if I see you sleeping, if I'm going to make my evaluation of all this, I'll say, well, that must be a person that can't really stand too much hard doctrine. It's a little bit too much for them. But strong faith says that we can take the meat of the word and we can grow with that. And when you come across those hard doctrines that you don't understand, then what you do is you stay in the word of God until you begin to understand it. But I'm afraid that we have too many people that they hear the doctrine and they spit it out before they even consider what's being said. They don't think about what's being said. They spit it out and there's some of you that might even shut your ears when I, when I preach on certain things because you're so set in your ways. But the spiritual condition is reflected in the way that you think on God's Word. If it becomes difficult for you, if you see the difficulty, then as I said, you stay in there, do some more study and get up to speed on this. And I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't have difficulty with things and hard doctrines that are preached that you shouldn't struggle with them. No, we're all going to struggle at times, but we have to stay in there and study until we begin to learn. And I think that this is what that church in Thessalonica did. They endured the hard times. They were able to go through the persecution because they stayed in God's Word consistently. Now, a third thing that someone might use to evaluate the church is the prayer life of the church. How strongly do they believe and practice prayer? Well, what is the evidence of a strong prayer life? It may be easier to say, what is the evidence of no prayer life? Because the evidence of no prayer life is defeat. It's whining. It's complaining. It's complaints that come from people that make it their business to be against everything. Now, let me mention one other thing that this report showed that it was a spiritual church and they had strong faith. It was the relationship that they had with Paul. The relationship they had with the one who is their pastor, the one who began to teach them the Word of God. What is their relationship with him? Well, we notice that Timothy's report included a strong desire for them to see Paul as he had a desire to see them. You see, they respected Paul's teachings. They took it as the Word of God. Listen to what he says in the second chapter in verse 13. He said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now that tells us that a church has to have confidence in the pastor that the word that's delivered is proper in its interpretation. Now mark this well, it does not mean that you turn your mind off and you accept everything that I say blindly. That's not what this means. When you consider everything that's said though, and you see that what's said has reasonable support from the scripture, then you accept it. And that's what these people did. They received what Paul said as the Word of God. Now, as I said in a sermon a week or so ago, that what did Paul have to preach? He had the Old Testament Scriptures. And he was giving exposition of Scripture, and he was showing them how the church is to follow that and introducing the doctrines of the church to these people as we go through the New Testament. And they believed that. They took it as the Word of God. This explanation of Scripture is good. 
And so what we try to do here is when I preach the messages, I give you scriptural support for what's said. I've never asked you to believe anything. It's not backed up by scripture. So I believe that Timothy reported these kinds of things. And the testimony of the church was good. It was a shining example of strong faith. So in the midst of all this persecution, they may not have been able to advertise their church. They may not be able to put a banner on the outside and say what's going on inside. They might not have been able to hold a city campaign for Jesus. But everybody that knew about this church was aware of their faith. They knew what they stood for. So they begin here. They show their strong faith by a faith that stands in troubles and by a faith that shines in testimony. Now, thirdly then, the strong faith that they had was a faith that sees its treasure. Now, when Paul sent Timothy to see how things were going, he was thrilled almost to ecstasy by what he heard. I mean, their faith actually became an encouragement to his labors. Now, we know Paul was a great faithful Christian. There's, there's no doubt of that. But Paul was still a man. And Paul was subject to the frailties of men. Now, when, you, when you're up against foes on every side and somebody's trying to take your life everywhere you go, when you've been stoned for the preaching of the gospel, when you've been shipwrecked and when you've been, had been robbed and all these things that he describes in 2 Corinthians, then you wonder, how are you going to fight this discouragement? And, and, and isn't there going to be discouragement when all those things happen? Well, sure there are. So he, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he was talking about the gospel. The gospel is his treasure, but the gospel is committed to him as a human with all the frailties and with all the feebleness of his abilities. But still, he writes going on in verse numbers 8 and 9, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And Paul was able to write those kinds of things because he saw the end of his labor. He saw what was coming. And he saw the faithfulness of his co-laborers. And here is a place where you draw strength. When you see the faith of others, and when you know that there are others that stand with you, that's when you become stronger in your faith. And this is why it's so important that you consider your actions. You look at the, look at the way that you live. Consider the way that you live, because what you do affects other people in the church. It affects their, their faith. Now, a strong faith, then, is one that's stirred by what it sees in others. And that's the way that Paul felt about this, this report. He was carried away with what he heard, and he used their faith to help build his faith. That's the kind of effect that it had on him. Now, he looks at their faith, and, and, and he sees that there's something very special about it, that it's a comforting faith. It's a faith that gives Paul comfort. Look at verse 7 again. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Paul was afflicted, or afflicted and he was in distress himself. And we have to understand, again, the background to see why it's such a comforting faith. Now, when he received the report from Timothy, uh, he'd left Athens and he'd gone to the city of Corinth. And here, these words, affliction and distress, they actually mean an intense choking pressure. It means crushing trouble. In Corinth, he was dragged by the Jews to stand trial in a Roman court, and then he was released. And apparently, there's some unrecorded event and of course, there would be many things in life of Paul that are unrecorded. But there's some unrecorded event that caused him a great deal of distress. And when he heard this report from Timothy, he was comforted and encouraged by the report. And isn't that the way the Lord works a lot of times? You know, I, I, I have things that, that have happened here that have caused me distress. There are some days when you, when you know, just feel lower than a snake's belly. I mean, there's things that cause heartache. Sometimes somebody will write a letter to me that's disrespectful and hateful of the position and hurtful, and they hand me that letter as they go out of the church. And that's very, very discouraging. 
But then I'll go into my office and there on my desk there's a card. And somebody has just written a little card that says thanks. And they tell me that they're praying for me. Some of you will send me emails and, they, and, you, and you say, well, God's blessed me through a sermon. I'm thankful for the teaching that I get from God's Word. And isn't it strange that there are some members of the church that are always discouraging? They're always discouraging. And then there are others in the church that are always lifting you up, encouraging you, telling you, you know, that God's on your side and we're on your side. And that's what Paul heard from these people. Some people are just messengers of Satan to discourage you, to buffet you. And then others are to encourage you and lift you up. And that's got what God wants in his church. Now that's what a strong faith does. A strong faith stimulates the faith of others. And so our faith then is used to strengthen and to encourage people. And we have to stand strong in the faith because others in the church need your strength. If the Apostle Paul, a great man like him, who had the Holy Spirit in him and speaking to him scriptures, giving him inspired scripture, if he needed encouragement, if he needed to see faith in others, then you can be sure you need to see it. And you need to be an encouragement to other people that you stand strong in the faith. We all need this. This is why he wrote in Romans 15.1, Paul said, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Now next we see it was a renewing faith. The life and purpose of Paul was renewed by what he heard. In verse number 8, it says, For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. So he wasn't defeated. That's not the problem. Paul's not going to be defeated. But he did become discouraged at times. And when he saw this report, and he had a chance to look over his circumstances... And he saw that there were others that were going through the same things he did. They were persecuted but still going strong. When he saw that, he's thinking, if the followers are strong, then the leader must stay strong. And so without even knowing what they were doing, these people were encouraging and strengthening Paul as a leader. And that's how I feel as well. When I see some of you that I know in your personal life, there's just been things going on all the time. There's just been all this pressure. There's been things that have come against you. Family problems or maybe it's sickness in the family or whatever it might be. And I see you here in the church and you're still carrying on with your duties and you're still doing what God wants you to do. That's encouraging for a leader. It's encouraging to see people that stand strong for the Lord in spite of their trouble. And that says to me, I can stand strong in spite of all the troubles that I might go through. A pastor needs those kinds of things, and every person in the church needs those kinds of things. They need to see that your faith is strong. If you quit, then others say, I need to quit too. Their faith isn't strong, my faith can't be strong. If you can't stay strong, how can they? So every person in the church, all of us have the opportunity and the privilege of helping and encouraging the pastor, the deacons, the leaders in the church, and just each other by a strong faith, growing more and more in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the third thing that we see about this is that it was a joyful faith, that strong faith emits joy. Can you hear Paul's heartbeat as he says in verse number 9? He says, for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? How his heart became so full that it was difficult to express proper thanks to God for allowing him just to have a part in this ministry, to have a ministry to the church at Thessalonica. There was real joy found in his heart because of these believers. And again, this is how a pastor feels when he sees people that thrive on the Word of God. What, what I have no greater joy in seeing is this, is that people soak up the Word of God and have the Word of God become meaningful to them. This is why I like Sunday morning forum class so well. I love the questions. I, it gives me an opportunity to see what people are thinking about. What is it that motivates you? What moves you as God's people? And, and you know, I especially like those questions that come and, 
There are questions about a sermon that I preached, and that tells me that you've been listening, and you want to know more about the subject. And that's just a wonderful thing. The Word of God strikes a chord in you. So what greater pleasure can a pastor have than to know that the people are interested in God's Word? Now, fourthly, it was a desirable faith. When Paul heard the report, the thing that he wanted most at that particular time was to take off towards Thessalonica. He wanted to go there and share in their faith. He wanted to actually see what was going on. I mean, that was desirable to him. You ever think what it would be like if, if people could see Jesus in us so much that it was desirable to them? What if our community could see what happens over there at Berean Baptist Church and they say, you know, there must be a good thing going on over there. That's desirable to us. It's a desirable faith. I want to go worship with them. And that's the way that Paul felt. Listen to his desire in verse 10. He says, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now this is a desire that kept him up at night. He was thinking about this all the time. Night and day, he wanted to be with them. And this is a true pastor's heart that he saw faith that was desirable and he wanted to come and further strengthen them and to teach them more, to perfect their faith. Whatever deficiencies that they might have, he wanted to be there to fill all the gaps. And so what did that faith do to Paul? It actually stirred him up. And we need to think about that, folks. Do we have a faith that stirs other believers? Now let me just very briefly relate this story to you about Hudson Taylor, who was a great missionary in the 19th century, missionary to China. And when Hudson Taylor first went to China, of course, in, in, in that century, he would have been on a sailing vessel. And as they were sailing towards China, the, the wind died down on the ship, and they were getting, uh, I mean, as they were sailing, and they got very close to a cannibalistic island. And with no wind, the ship kept drifting closer and closer to the shore. And so you have all these natives out there, and they're expecting a big feast as they see that ship coming towards them. So the captain went to Hudson Taylor, and he said, I really need some help here. I need you to start praying that there will be some wind. Would you do that for me? And Hudson Taylor says, I will, but I won't until you put up the sails, unfurl the sails, and get ready for the breeze. But this is a salty sea captain. And he doesn't want to look like a fool by unfurling the sails when there is no breeze. And so at first he refused to do it. And Hudson Taylor said, I'm not going to pray until you unfurl the sails. And so that was done. Then Hudson Taylor began to pray. It wasn't long before the ship's captain came knocking on the door of his stateroom. And he says, are you still praying for wind? And Hudson Taylor said, well, yes, I am. And he said, stop praying for wind. We've got all the wind that we can manage. Now, here's the thing, is that this, is, this wind from God comes and fills the sails and makes the ship move and takes it where it needs to go. And that's the way that our faith needs to be with other people. When we, when we have a strong faith, it fills the sails of other believers. It bears them along. It keeps them going. And that's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs. It needs this kind of faith that encourages and pushes people forward and say, you can do this as well. You can live for God and you can be the kind of Christian God wants you to be. And all of us are going to be blessed because we're doing what God wants us to do as His people. So what, what, is, what it would it be like if your faith was like that? What if your faith could, could fill the sails of other believers? That's what strong faith does. Now, it's very, very encouraging to have a group of people, a church full of people that just keeps on. And I hope that we have a church that, should I leave, and I ever came back and, and returned for a visit, that I would see that we have a church here that is still strong and going for the Lord. You know, sometimes when I take my trips back to Kentucky, I have the opportunity to see many of the old people that I went to church with years and years ago. And when I see them still doing what they always did, still serving the Lord, that is a very, very strong encouragement to me. There are still some of those people that are just going on after all these years serving the Lord. And I hope that's the kind of church that we have here at Berean. 
So we need an encouraging faith, a strong faith, one that stands through all kinds of despair. We need a faith that stands in troubles. We need faith that shines in testimony. We need faith that sees its treasure. And what you need to do tonight is just to examine your own faith. Look at your own faith. Is it a strong faith? Is it an encouraging faith? And have you considered how that your faith, how your faith affects others? Are, are people encouraged by what you do? Or are they discouraged by it? Have you ever stopped to consider the spiritual health of the church? You know what we're prone to do? We're prone to talk of the church and about the church in the third person. That church or, you know, the church over there or whatever. You know who the church is? You. And so when you start talking about the health of the church, you know what you're actually talking about? Your health. Your spiritual health. So you can gauge how well the church is doing by how well you're doing. And if you're doing well, then we have a healthy church. So all of us need to look at our faith tonight. And if our faith is not where it needs to be, if it's not a strong faith like it needs to be, then we need to change that. We need to get on the Lord's side. We need to get in the right way and be encouraging to other people with a faith that stands for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight, and this is our desire. This is the thing that we want most. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to be faithful to you. We want others to be able to see that faith that we have, that it is a strong faith. And Lord, that we would have a, a church here that is encouraged every single day by the fellowship that we have with one another and just see that we have uh, a commonality here, people believing the same things, hoping for the same things, seeing the end that is the same for all of us, eternal life with you in heaven. Lord, just help us to have that right kind of faith. And then bless us, Lord, as we enter into this new series of messages next week. Uh, so many topics that we get to consider about what it's really like to live for Jesus. And Lord, help us to just to be here and hear those messages. And Lord, you impress upon our hearts to follow you every single day of our lives. We ask these things in the name of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.